Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your co-hosts are Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor, and Pastor Charles Roberts. Here we are again with another edition of the Out of the Question podcast, and I'm joined once again by Dr. Charles Roberts, who is going to examine this question with me. Have you examined your paradigms lately? So let me give a definition, a working definition of paradigm, and then we'll get into our discussion. It's a noun, and it's one that serves as a pattern or model. Another definition, a set of assumptions, concepts, values, and practices that constitutes a way of viewing reality. And I'd like to explore whether you think a paradigm is the exact same thing as a worldview. Well, to address that last point or question, I don't think so. I think worldviews, uh, a worldview, one's worldview is the product of one's paradigm. You know, I first encountered this word even after majoring in philosophy in college back in the 70s when I went to seminary, which was in the early 19, late 1980s. And everybody was all abuzz about a book that had been published actually in the early 1960s called The Structure of Scientific Revolutions by a physicist named Thomas Kuhn, K-U-H-N. And the reason why even at that point that book was causing such uh, interest is because Kuhn argued that unlike what scientists claim that they're doing, which is we're just taking objective facts and we're examining things and coming up with, you know, an explanation for this or, or whatever. I'm grossly oversimplifying what he wrote, but it was basically, no, there are a set of preconceived assumptions about what we're doing that influence the way you do your research. It can't be any other way than that. And, of course, that was hugely controversial in uh, scientific circles. Okay, so isn't that kind of saying everybody has presuppositions? It is. Yes, that's another way of saying it. You know, I like to, for, for people who may be struggling with this a little bit, it is on one level a little deeper than your average TV sitcom, you know, the intellectual acumen you have to have to watch TV nowadays. I like to liken it to your computer. Just about everybody who listens to us has some computer or a smartphone or whatever. And so you've got this physical thing on your desk or by your desk called a computer, and you know that inside of it is something called a hard drive. All of that is physical material, but it can't function unless you power it on, and then you have to have on that hard drive an operating system. If you don't have the operating system, it doesn't work. Nothing happens. And I think the paradigm is sort of like the same thing. Uh, you've got to start with something somewhere to get anywhere with understanding your life, your marriage, your family, reality. And that's something that you start with is your paradigm. All right. Some people might say, let's take this computer model. Could paradigms be in addition or more accurately looked at as software that is now imposed on the operating system and the hardware? Because if if operating systems change, usually that's a kind of major overhaul, whereas you can have different software programs or applications that orient you a particular way. 
I suppose so. I mean, I, I don't necessarily want to press this analogy too far, but it's worth thinking about. Okay, let's say that the um, let's bring this down to Christian uh, conceptions. Let's say the 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 operating system is, we'll say, Protestant biblical Christianity, or let's just say Christianity generally. And then you could change out the software and say one type of software would be Reformed theological Christianity. Another type would be Pentecostal Christianity. Another type would be Roman Catholic or Greek Orthodox or whatever. So you have the, it's essentially the same paradigm that on some level, a divine creator has spoken and revealed himself. Uh, But beyond that, the rest of it can change and change rather dramatically, even though the, the paradigm is essentially still the same. Okay, so the reason I bring this up is that I have encountered not only in myself, but um, in others, that there are people who refuse to give up their paradigms. And for a person to give up a paradigm, the expression is they would need to have a paradigm shift, which would and has been defined as a profound change in a fundamental model or perception of events. And so I was quickly going through the different paradigms that we are facing today and why we're posing the question, one needs to examine one's paradigms. And, and you know, is it possible that over time, not only do your paradigms change, but should they? So let's take one, for example, in terms of diet. I remember having a conversation, gosh, it's almost 20 years ago, with a woman who said vegetarianism and then veganism, which was just kind of coming into a fashion, is the way that people should eat because that's all people ate at the beginning. You know, she was adhering to the fact that in the Garden of Eden, they did not kill animals for food. To go with that paradigm, that would mean that anybody who wasn't vegetarian or vegan, somehow or other was wrong. And I pointed out to her that in God's word, there was a mandate for sacrifices of animals and that as part and parcel of this sacrifice, you were required to eat some of it under certain circumstances. So that that paradigm of, well, at the beginning, all anybody ate was vegetables, so therefore everybody should be vegetarian or vegan is a paradigm that would need to shift in terms of the full counsel of God. Exactly. And I think uh, what what you're talking about here goes back to what I said at the very beginning in this book by Thomas Kuhn, The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. And what he's arguing there is that that's the way science progresses, and that's what leads to what he called revolutions in science, is that the paradigm shift uh, there is a fundamental change in the way things are looked at and thought about. And this is one of the problems, uh, to bring it back around to the biblical example, and something less than a full-orbed Christianity. Because, you know, you've got, uh, especially in the circles that we are familiar with, you know, people who only follow what the red letters in the Bible say, or bless God, we're New Testament Christians, we don't mess with that mean old God of the Old Testament type of mentality. And so they walk around with um, a well-intended, perhaps, but a paradigm that does not comport with the full revelation of God and what is going on. And you pointed to uh, 
you know, a, a perfect example. Um, the fact is, we don't live in a pre-fall world. We do live in a world that's been redeemed by our Lord Jesus Christ, and among his people, we move in that direction as God's redeemed people. But, um, you know, our paradigm must be the full revelation of God in Holy Scripture, not just a few sections of it. I kind of made in a list. So beyond diet, it's like health. What does it mean to be healthy? Okay, so my paradigm is all carbs, no protein. Other person's carb, and that's not mine, but people would say, or all protein, no carbs. Uh, low fat, you know, high protein. In other words, everybody has what worked for them and or apparently worked for them. And so then now what happens is we export that as the only way to do it. Same thing with higher education. You know, can't trust somebody unless they've had a degree. So if I say something and somebody says, well, do you have a degree in science? And I say no. Well, then the paradigm is only those people with degrees can A, speak truth or have an informed opinion. So it it seems to me that paradigms are what people are usually fighting over. Do you think that's true? Yeah, although I don't know that they would use that terminology. You know, uh, this this is to, to to my way of thinking. This is one of the challenges of this whole idea of paradigms and th- their importance. Is most people I don't think are aware that their their day to day life, whether it be related to diet, exercise, how they raise their children, you mentioned education, all of these things unfold based on a pre well, until you use the term pre theoretical presupposition, something that stands at the very top of everything else that unfolds from it in terms of knowledge. And a lot of people are not aware that they have that. I mean, they're operating that way. But the problem is, and, and this, I, let me use the example of the cultural shifts that took place in the 1960s, for example. You know, I, I think that what predominated in many sections of American culture at that time was a type of conservative civil religion that had the title of Christianity, but it was really a mixture of a variety of things. And so the paradigm was this sort of cultural neighborhood expression of be nice, be good. And um, there were these generally uh, assumed principles that were pretty much the same in most neighborhoods. I mean, the neighborhood where I grew up, for example, we had a few Catholics. Most people were Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian. But everybody kind of worked along the same lines in terms of how they behaved and the things that they did, the things that they thought were important. But then you had the influence of a very different paradigm coming into the culture. And I'll focus on the example of Eastern religion, you know, the, the, the massive interest that took place in Hinduism and yoga and uh, what today we call New Age philosophy that came in by means of music, especially uh, art and other type of cultural expressions, that type of genteel civil religion that was loosely based on biblical Christianity just could not uh, stand the onslaught of this new paradigm in many, many cases. They had no answers to to really effectively refute the claims of these people because uh, their paradigm was not a faithful one. It had some of the elements of it. So paradigms do shift. But the problem is people need to be made aware that, look, you're doing your day-to-day life. Think about what you do from the time you get up to the time you come home and everything you do in between. Why are you doing that? 
what is it that influences you to think the same, the way that you do and the things that you hold that are important? And I believe because when um, Christianity is presented to people who may not have had firsthand knowledge of it when they were growing up, or even this civil religion that you're talking about, they're encouraged to say yes before they understand what they're saying yes to. And so it's very easy to not examine how you have modeled your life or the model by which or the lens by which you look through things and realize that there may be things that are contrary to what the word of God says. But of course, if you don't know the word of God, then it's unlikely you'll challenge your paradigm. That is the problem. Exactly. Most people don't. Let's just speak broadly about what we'll call traditional evangelical Christians. Uh, they have some understanding of Scripture, and assuming that they're going even to a, a moderately, you know, biblically focused church where the Scriptures are taught and preached, uh, they will have some understanding of things. But unless it represents, as to use that term again, the full-orbed nature of biblical religion, they're going to come away as the walking wounded and not knowing what to do with somebody who has a paradigm that they are absolutely sure of, and they know most of the implications of it, and they're using it as a battering ram against another. Now, I'm not saying that all paradigms are are equal. They certainly aren't. Uh, Obviously, we believe, and Scripture teaches, that there's only one paradigm that matters, and that's the one revealed and based on the revelation of God Almighty in Scripture. But um, the the idea that, uh, um, say, for example, uh, I know of a church where a pastor publicly proclaimed there is no such thing as Christian politics, Christian literature, Christian education. You know, everything is about personal salvation. That's an example of a poorly developed understanding of a biblical paradigm. Okay, but you said that a worldview, from your way of looking at it, was the result of one's paradigms. So obviously, if someone has a worldview that isn't informed by Scripture, they are going to have, not in all cases, because there is some Christian capital in the society, they're going to look at things. So the model would be, for example, when somebody's born, you're told, congratulations, you have a son or daughter. Well, nowadays, that paradigm is being attacked and challenged that if you were to say there are two genders, the paradigm that says, no, that's not true. So each of those paradigms is going to be informed by something or not informed by something. And the shift in paradigm thinking is something that if we don't examine every day when we're going through the scriptures, which we should be involved with every day, we're not going to give ourselves the opportunity to say, have I been looking at this the wrong way? And if we don't do that, then we're not really examining ourselves to say, are we thinking God's thoughts after him? Or are we deciding what God should be thinking? And that's the thoughts we think. A lot of the influence about how people deal with this and operate comes from the cultural environment in which they live and uh, move forward in life. Uh, l- let me just use an example again, say, from uh, the 1950s or 60s. I'm using that because that was a different paradigm than what we have today. And when the, the example you just 
cited as a, as a prime example of how things have changed. But in most communities and most places in these United States in that time frame in the 50s and 60s, people operated from a loosely Christian paradigm. So a young person growing up in a Christian home maybe would be exposed to people saying a blessing at a meal. They would go to church every Sunday. Maybe if they were particularly devout, Wednesday night as well as Sunday night. They were of some other Christian tradition. They would keep the holy days and all the rest of it. Television was not a very big factor. It was an increasing, increasingly big factor, but for the most part, it was a minor thing compared to today. But the one big factor that was influential in the lives of many people at that time was government-funded education. So you, you had people being educated in one type of paradigm, which was the assumption, the starting point, that man's knowledge is humanistically based and scientifically based and has no reference whatsoever to God and Scripture because that's a separate realm. That's your personal spiritual life. And so you have people growing up in that era with a, a, a very mixed-up paradigm or the idea that I can operate from two different standpoints, which is impossible. One of them will predominate. And then we move from the direct result of that to where we found ourselves in the past, say, 15, 20, 30 years, where the humanistic paradigm began to predominate to where we have moved in the example that you just cited. People can't figure out or they don't seem to think there are clearly two sexes, male and female. And that's right. just one example. So if we think that our paradigms are sacrosanct, and we can't change them, then it's very hard to figure out how, as a society, we would ever get along. When people shared similar presuppositions that what the Bible says is true, whether or not they read it or heard it, but they would have that idea, then if somebody said killing was wrong, um, adultery was wrong, stealing was wrong, slander was wrong, there would be this common agreement but when the forces of humanism and humanistic statism began to predominate, then it became harder to shift a paradigm because one of the major paradigms was the government is there to help you. Science knows what it's talking about. Um, to get um, respectability, you need to have higher education. And these are the things now which are pretty much from my perspective, crippling the culture because we're relying on all these things that are proving not to be trustworthy. This is one of the principles of why paradigms are important because you have to start somewhere in the project of knowledge and the project of understanding and in the project of just simply living everyday life. And the, the whole basis of the authority of the Christian paradigm, of the biblical paradigm, is that this is the foundation of all knowledge, and nothing else can be or is. And there, there are a number of works that I could refer people to, but I'll, I'll do that a little bit later, that argue this way and prove this, I think, insofar as it, it, any proof is needed. Um, but what you just alluded to is a, another example of how paradigms are inescapable. I mean, if you take, for example, people living in let's say, the, uh, the height of the power of the Roman Empire. Well, you know, the Roman Empire covered a vast amount of territory and lands and cultures and language groups. And you had people of different religions, and they had, you know, some sort of 
paradigmatic view of life about what the gods or whatever the case may be. But the one thing that unified all of Roman society was the absolute paradigm of the authority of either the Senate or the Caesar, the Roman government. It determined right from wrong and everything else. Now, you could have little you know, segments of things underneath it where you could operate in your own little way, but ultimately you had to give uh, obedience to the ultimate paradigm which is the authority of Rome. Rome determined what were legal religions, for example, and what were not. So, yes, go worship Zeus or worship a tree or whatever you want to do, but uh, you do so only at the good grace of the ultimate authority, the voice of the Roman government. So as been noted many times before this discussion, that's what sent Christians to the Colosseum to be martyred because saying Jesus is Lord as opposed to Caesar is Lord, was fighting words to the Roman Empire, even though if you looked at numbers and you looked at armies, you'd say, why are you bothering with these Christians? They're not very many. They're just going to be a bunch of noise. But in actual fact, what cohesed the empire of Rome was that everybody had to say Caesar was Lord. And I think that that's what we are experiencing or experienced when Dr. Rush Dooney and others talked about the paradigm shift of every area of life and thought is subject to the word of God and Jesus Christ. That's not the paradigm that people were living by prior to his stating it. Yeah, this is a, a particularly important discussion in our day and time. Because we obviously are being presented in the current age with what claims to be or pretends to be an authoritative voice uh, about our future, about our health, about what constitutes um, living in society and what you can do and what you can't do. And we can see as similar as in the, uh, uh, the collapse of the Protestant evangelical you know, Christian societies that existed in the 1940s and 50s and early 60s, um, we, we see a similar thing today in that the type of Christianity that predominates in many, many areas, they, they have no ability to resist the onslaught of this powerfully statist uh, authoritative paradigm. And you can see how uh, what is truly assumed as the operating assumption of authority and what makes sense of all of reality is not the Bible, is not the the authoritative voice of God in Holy Scripture. It's something else. So this goes back to, I think, uh, a fundamental premise that we should say, especially as we're teaching children or teaching people who have come from different backgrounds. It's not only important what you believe, but why you believe it. And I think the why question has everything to do with the model from which you think things should be ordered and what we would call the best possible situation. And you tell me what you think about this. I think that a lot of people scratch their head and say, well, why is it that we have children that were homeschooled or we have children that went to Christian schools and then they get older and they move away from the faith? How, how does that happen? You know, we all want to have a formula that works. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with, in order to be on the safe side, what we wanted to do was make sure 
we imposed a paradigm and said, you must accept it as opposed to presenting our view of things and showing where it did or did not line up with scripture. And instead of then telling people, you must think this, that we should be teaching people how to think biblically. And uh, I think too often, in order to be on the safe side, we just want to shove facts at people or shove justifications without letting the person we're teaching know, whether it's a young person or an adult, that you will stand before God one day and give an account. And you can't say, well, I did what she told me to do, or I just believed what she told me to believe. Because if you don't embrace it with a a full orbed, as you put it, understanding, and that you're self-consciously doing it, you won't really have a measuring stick to say, am I being obedient or not? I think one of the great sources for uh, having a model for doing what you just described is the book of Proverbs. I mean, here you have a godly father instructing his son or his children in the ways of godly wisdom. And I've, I've often wished that uh, somebody could discover somewhere um, an entire series of sermons that Dr. Rastuni preached through the entire book of Proverbs. I'd love to have something like that. Uh, but, you know, the book of Proverbs takes this foundational paradigm of the authority of God's wisdom and gives prime examples. Um, of course, it's somewhat culture-related to the time, but you can, you can extrapolate from those to say, my, my son, this is the fountain of life. This is the fountain of wisdom. This is how you live. And you don't do this, and you don't do that, because here's why you don't do this and don't do that. And, of course, uh, one of the the favorite passages of Dr. Rastuni and many others is the passage in Proverbs 8.36, where God's wisdom says, all those who hate me are in love with death. And that's a, that is a paradigm example of how, uh, unless we assume the authority of God's wisdom, of God's way of life, of God's way of describing and prescribing how people will live, what will take place in his creation, it inevitably leads to a culture that is more or less focused on death. And my goodness, can't we see that in our our day and time? You can see it in ancient cultures as well, which were very violent, many of them, and they glorified death in in some measure. Um, But God's paradigm, the paradigm of biblical faith, of biblical truth, is that of life as God gives it and God prescribes it. Dr. Rushduni used to describe having a biblical worldview as putting on the glasses of scripture. And for someone who has been nearsighted most of her life that I could recall when I finally got glasses and I went, oh, that's how people see. It's very important that you see things clearly. And if you don't have a basis in God's law as the foundational point, in other words, if it's in the scripture, then it's true. And we have to endeavor to apply it correctly. So if you have this idea, okay, that's your personal life, but we're going to let somebody else get their view of history from state schools or the history channel or secular universities or whatever it is, then obviously people have to come up with paradigms. Otherwise, they couldn't do things. 
you know, how you decide to dress to go to work has something to do with a paradigm of what's going to be successful, what's going to look professional, things like that. So we're constantly dealing with paradigms, but I'm wondering how often we honestly look at our paradigms and, and say, am I hanging on to this? Because if I give this up, I have to give up a lot of other things that I'm not sure I can, as opposed to I'd be willing to give up anything to be in greater obedience to God. Yeah, that's, that's always a challenging issue because uh, there are people who, you know, with the best of intentions and with the best, the ability that God by his spirit gives them, uh, attempt to live by the biblical paradigm, and yet they're not perfect. And, of course, we understand why that is, but this is one of the greatest things missing from all other paradigms that would pretend to teach people how to live and what reality is all about, is that all of the others are humanistic, and they don't account for the fallen nature of man and his need for regeneration and atonement. And so, therefore, they eventually lead to, as that proverb I quoted says, to death. So it's easy enough for people who don't want to live according to a biblical paradigm and say, well, I know this other person and they do all this, you know, Christian religious stuff and look what they did or look at them as if that's some sort of excuse for them not to obey the command of God. And modern churches don't make it any easier. The average non-Christian, when they hear the proclamation of the message of the kingdom of God, it's often presented to them as sort of a dainty little request that, you know, would you please, you might want to consider believing this. But in Scripture, it comes across as a thundering command. You must believe this. This is the command of God on every person. And, you know, we've been dancing around this a little bit. But it Really, it all goes back to what happened in Genesis chapter 3. That is the, the, that is the paradigm example of, of the shifting of paradigms. Uh, because Adam and Eve are created in a state of having only one, there was only one possible paradigm they could have ever had at that point. Right. But Satan comes along and offers them and presents them with another. And that's where yeah, the, the paradigm shifted. So there's been many commentators who will say, send Christian kids to secular universities or even more and more Christian universities. And what's going to happen is they're going to lose their faith. And first of all, a true faith cannot be lost. Let's, let's just make that clear. If the Holy Spirit comes into a person's life, or I should say when the Holy Spirit comes into a person's life, they're changed by the power of God. I think a better way to describe what happens is the paradigms that they come into higher education with or the workplace or whatever it is are now being challenged in a way they weren't challenged. So how many people going to church regularly, even having a Christian education have been given the opportunity to give an apologetic against evolution, against transgenderism, against um, militarism and offensive wars as opposed to defensive wars. See, if you don't give people the opportunity to trust their paradigms, then what's going to happen is the first time somebody does challenge a paradigm, they're ill-equipped. They might say, well, I, I know he's wrong, but I can't say why. But then after a while, my experience is you see people beaten down 
And they just figure it's a lot easier to go along with the majority, which is a paradigm in itself. How could all these people be wrong? You know, and, and they don't stand for it. So I, th- I think we like to think we've done our homework, but I think our homework involves a whole lot more than we have thought it should be. You know, Jesus said in the, uh, the Great Commission, as recorded at the end of the gospel, according to Matthew, you know, go into all the world and disciple the nations. Well, literally, it means to make the nations my disciples. And that is a proclamation of the necessity for establishing or reestablishing from the era of or, or creation the biblical model, the biblical paradigm. That's not an easy task, and it doesn't mean that those of us who are engaged in it, regardless on what level, whether it be you know, a missionary on a foreign field, a church planner uh, domestically, an educational ministry like Chalcedon, it doesn't mean we're all perfect by any means, but it does mean that we are attempting to honor uh, what God has told us to do. And so even in uh, a, a largely insulated environment where everyone, say, pretty much agrees uh, on, on what the, the biblical paradigm is, as you just said, there's a continual need for making sure we are prepared for the battle that goes forth. I, I have always found it striking how the Lord often gets our attention by showing us how other people have done a far better job than we have on some of these issues. And in this case, what we're talking about, I think the Islamic religion is an example. You know, from the time a Muslim child is born into an Islamic family, the first thing that is said, I've been told this, I think this is accurate, the mother or the father whispers in the baby's ear, there is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. That's the first thing the child hears from the parent. And, and there's a consistency in how that is repeated over and taught over and over and over again, you know, through the formative years of that child's life. And, you know, the, uh, uh, the average Christian attitude, notice I said Christian, I didn't say Western. They used to be the same, but not anymore, is that, you know, the people who believe this religion are a bunch of people walking around in, in white sheets and towels on their heads and all sorts of dismissive things like that. And yet we have seen this religion in modern times being possessed of an inner dynamic that doesn't just fold like a lawn chair before guns and tanks. So there's something there that, you know, it's based on a false premise, but yet it shows an example of maybe how Christians ought to be doing a better job at preparing their own people, their their children especially, to move forward in life with the understanding that there is no other reality. There is no other way of looking at life than what God has revealed to us in Holy Scripture. Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. And I think you could sum up Scripture that way, because if you are using a paradigm that is not consistent with God's word and accurately consistent, as opposed to strange interpretations that will you know, push people in a particular direction that you're laboring in vain. And I think we see this, that people have their paradigms in matters of eschatology, in matters of what it means to be Christian in terms of your actions. Do you smoke? Do you drink? Well, if you do, then we just can't, 
you know, you, you can't really be a Christian depending on your paradigm if you take alcohol. And something that I saw recently is that there, without giving the name, there's a popular television show that talks about the life of Jesus. And somebody is pointing out that the executive producer is identified with what we would consider a religious cult. And this is like all up in arms, you, you know, but how many times do people examine the religious affiliations of movies that don't have a Christian um, theme overtly, but still affect people's ways of looking at the world? And so our paradigm can be very, very specific shooting at efforts by Christians, but doesn't include shooting at non-Christians because you see we don't expect that of them. This goes back to, is everybody accountable before God, whether or not they have a denominational or religious designation next to their name? Or is every person who ever was created going to stand before the Lord and have to give an account? And I think that's where for, for people who understand this, they could relax more and say, I don't have to shove my paradigms on other people. What I do need to do is encourage them to see what the word of God says. Yeah, God's word says, and for me, as a Reformed Presbyterian, the Westminster Confession of Faith um, embodies this teaching in the chapter on the law of God, which is that the law of God is forever binding on humanity, all people are accountable to God uh, and accountable to live according to his standards, whether they know it, whether they uh, are aware of it or not. Uh, they will be made aware either you know, when they stand before their own personal eschatology event um, or in the recognition that the way that they are living just simply doesn't work. I, I want to reference something that Dr. Rushdoony wrote in, in a book he published some years ago called The Mythology of Science. He has a chapter in that book, and this is one of the things I would recommend to our, our listeners who want to maybe pursue this subject more, um, this book, The Mythology of Science, Chapter 11, the, uh, is called Paradigms and Facts. And he makes this very short statement. The choice is between God's paradigm and man's paradigm, and men must reap the consequences of their choice. That's it, pure and simple. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you will live with the consequences of your choices, and God says, choose life. Choose the way of absolute truth and life as given in Scripture. So here's the question. We as believers want to share the good news of Jesus Christ and the good news of Jesus Christ, as we said over and over again, is those who are in Christ are free and those who are not in Christ are slaves to sin and to other sinners. So do we fight paradigm to paradigm or is a good strategy to undercut paradigms rather than assault them head on. What do you think? I think the situation is going to determine that. I mean, there may be some Christians who find themselves, say, in academic environments where uh, some sort of debate would be important. If I may, I would recommend to our listeners who may be inclined in that direction uh, a book that was published some years ago called An Introduction to Christian Philosophy by Gordon Clark. Uh, Dr. Clark presents what he calls the axiom, axiom of revelation, and that axiom is the teachings of Scripture. And it really is aimed at an academic audience where people 
uh, will come in and challenge on philosophical and theoretical grounds the the nature of biblical truth. So as uh, the late Dr. Greg Bonson showed in several of his debates with atheists, the, the biblical faith, the biblical paradigm has no reason to go hide in a corner somewhere when challenged. On the other hand, most people don't live in academia. They don't live in the uh, uh, the academic world. They live day-to-day lives. And so I think that the nature of the way their paradigms may be challenged or the need to challenge someone else's, that's where biblical wisdom comes in. You know, many people will find themselves at the end of their rope because they have embraced a false paradigm, and that in- inevitably leads to tragedy or confusion or problems. And so a good Christian man or woman will know when the time is right to you know, challenge that paradigm based on what they're seeing. And they'll know when perhaps not to do that or maybe choose a different time. So uh, that that would be my answer to your question. I think it really kind of depends on the person, the context, but there's a need for both. But primarily the latter um, would be the, the more common. And having your eyes and ears opened to when someone is in crisis because their paradigm no longer works. For example, there are plenty of people who said, if God, you know, will embrace the idea, if God before us, who can be against us? But their, their timeline for that doesn't include an eternity. It only includes now. So God wants me to be happy. The current situation isn't making me happy. What do I do to be happy? And yet, if we have a good working knowledge of scripture and you go back to the Beatitudes, you know, blessed are you this way or that way? It's all about how you'll be happy. I think the word blessed could be translated as happy as well, but it's a genuine happiness that's based on truth. So if we're talking just time and we're talking just the next three months, somebody's paradigm will likely fail them. However, if we recognize the crisis of faith they might be going through and help them expand the paradigm, help them understand that history has a way of demonstrating God's truth, then we'll look back on the early church. We'll look back on the martyrs throughout history and realize they were victorious because the biblical definition of success and blessing may not be what people have heard from the time they were little. Absolutely. And I think that it shows that under the stress and pressure of day-to-day life, and especially in extreme circumstances like we all find ourselves in in these days, a a paradigm will prove itself. Uh, And so, therefore, there may be people who hold to paradigms that seem to be reasonably successful some of the time, maybe even much of the time. But sooner or later, they will prove faulty and they will collapse because they can't stand the pressure uh, of the reality of what life is really all about. And so this is where the biblical model outshines all the others. Again, we have to work with the understanding that people uh, do not of their own nature reach out to God. He must reach out to them. But that's another thing that guarantees our success in this mission is that God will save all those whom he has appointed unto salvation. And so we can take encouragement from the fact that God is the author of this, and he, he is the one that guarantees its, its success. I think uh, if I may mention one last resource before we wrap up, the thing that most people aren't aware of, we're going to tell them now, that kind of got us thinking along these lines to discuss this at this time, was um, a position paper 
that was published in 1988 by Dr. Rushdoony entitled The Death of Empty Forms. And he speaks to all of this in this really remarkable uh, essay and paper, and you can find it in Volume 3 of An Informed Faith, uh, the position papers of R.J. Rushdoony. But he gives several examples in this book. And the empty forms that he's talking about are these paradigms that just simply don't work. Sooner or later, they they wear out. Maybe you don't hear it too much anymore, but sometimes you used to hear about a person referred or a man referred to as, well, he's just an empty suit. You know, there's ultimately nothing there when the rubber meets the road. Right. The other thing I would say is that a lot of people's paradigms have value. Uh, There's supposedly an old Chinese saying that says a broken clock is right twice a day. Yep. (laughs) So, okay. So instead of telling someone that the paradigm that they have used um, whether it's to lose weight or battle addiction or something of that nature, give credit where credit is due. Don't deny that this person has found success in a particular area. The error becomes when paradigm fights paradigm as opposed to the recognition that God can use lots of different things. I'm a big proponent of Christian education, yet some of the people I know that I work side by side with didn't have a Christian education growing up. So it proves that God is greater than our circumstances. Those people now would value the idea of teaching someone from the time they're young, a biblical world and life view. But we just want to make sure that the imposition of our paradigms don't hinder someone else from understanding the word of God better. Absolutely. And I think uh, you would agree with me that we exhort our listeners to Examine their paradigms. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next time. And in the meantime, our contact information is out of the question podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.